Welcome to the Embracing Brokenness podcast, where our goal is to engage with all of those willing to venture deeper into their transformational journey with Christ. Here's your host and co-founder of Embracing Brokenness Ministries, Steve Adams. Well, welcome back everyone to the Embracing Brokenness podcast. We are going to dip our toe back into a subject that I discussed uh, it was in an earlier podcast that I entitled What is Progressive Christianity? And some of that was based on a book written by Alyssa Childers. If you're not familiar with her, you may want to check her out online. Very interesting. Uh, great perspective on this topic. She wrote a book called Another Gospel with a question mark. Uh, the subtitle says, A Lifelong Christian Seeks Truth in Response to Progressive Christianity. So, she kind of explored her life and what, uh, within her church circles, uh, she began to see this sort of shift. And I guess the best, best way to really characterize that is a shift of truth, which shouldn't really happen. And I've called this podcast Truth in a Confused Culture. And I believe that there's a lot we can really dig into on this subject, but I want to quote from her book just to start with and then we'll unpack some of this so uh, this would be in uh, a chapter toward the end called reconstruction she says this the strength of evidence for the christian worldview is so strong that one would have to willfully shut their eyes to it and goes on to say but while god's grace is free it does not come cheap german theologian and martyr dietrich bonhoeffer once wrote Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again. It is costly because it costs God the life of his son. Ye were bought at a price, and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. And for anybody that knows Bonhoeffer, he, uh, he actually lived out these words as he marched to his own death. He was hung by the Nazis, and his final words were this, is the end for me the beginning of life i mean he understood what it meant to deny himself taking up a cross and following jesus he saw the beauty in the gospel so Alyssa goes on to say this uh, and she's quoting a situation that happened uh, famous famous atheist christopher hitchens was once interviewed for portland monthly about his opposition to religion and more specifically christianity this is fascinating by the way after explaining that she didn't take the stories in scripture literally and rejected the atonement, she asked Hitchens if he saw a difference between fundamentalist faith and more liberal, perhaps we could say progressive, religion. His answer was surprising. He said this, I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ the Messiah, and that he rose again from the dead, and by his sacrifice our sins are forgiven, you're really not, in any meaningful sense, a Christian. 
Now think about that coming from an atheist. That is a very interesting and I would say very true statement. Uh, again, she says, we don't get to completely redefine God or who God is and how he works in the world and call it Christian. We don't get to make the rules and do what is right in our own eyes and yet claim to be followers of Jesus. Our only option is to do it his way or not at all. He is love. His name is truth. His gospel is bloody. His way is beautiful. For God so loved the world. So as I was contemplating how to dig deeper into this subject, uh, God brought me to a passage of scripture in Colossians. As Paul wrote to the church in Colossians 2, and this is verses 6 through 8. Let me read that to you. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So friends, think that through a little bit. We live in a world, I think, uh, there's an epidemic of truth perspectives from individuals and groups that believe they somehow have a corner on it. And shifting the narrative for the benefit of those that seek to do so is a very dangerous place for Christians to land. And just sitting in it, we have a responsibility to examine, be Bereans, understand what truth is, dig into the word, because that is absolute truth. It is God's all-inspired word. It is inerrant in every way, uh, as most believers understand it. And we have an obligation, especially if we're called up to share the gospel with someone else, we need to speak truth in love. But doing so is really a, a major part of, of our journey as Christians. We are called to spread the gospel. We are called to be carriers of the good news to the rest of the world. So as that great commission laid out, we also have a responsibility to make sure we do so uh, truthfully. Uh, and the world we live in is really, uh, is not that way. I mean, come on, let's, let's realize we all understand that what's in it for me is really the mantra of the day. And that's not changed a lot, probably since the beginning of time. But if we are really to help other people understand truth, because it is a confused culture, we need to understand it ourselves too and, and not wing it as we go. Uh, and I and this again is probably less about me defining what progressive Christianity is and more encouraging you to seek absolute truth and make it a part of your everyday life. So as I was again doing a little more research on this, I came across a podcast. This again uh, by Impact 360, and they quoted Barna study. And and, and again, I, if you haven't heard, I, this is a group I. I follow a little bit because they, they kind of focus on the Gen Z folks that are, you know, the younger generation, the new up-and-comers in, in the world that really are going to have a major influence in the way Christianity is seen, taught, reinterpreted, unfortunately, in some ways. And that is what the people that are being influenced most by this progressive movement. But 
let let me just again challenge you and i want you to hear a segment from this podcast uh, by jonathan morrow and then we'll we'll talk about it for a minute professor john lennox says this society tolerates the practice of the christian faith in private devotions and in church services so pause right there what that means is is okay in your own mind or in your own place of worship you can hopefully keep christianity there but no further, right? Says, but it increasingly deprecates public witness, anything outside of that. To the relativist, which we'll talk about in a minute, and the secularist, which is someone who tries to explain all of life and reality without anything related to God or anything supernatural, public witness to faith in God smacks too much of proselytizing and fundamentalist extremism. They regard it more and more as a threat to social stability and human freedom. That's just part of what it means to be a Christian in a post-Christian culture where we're at right now. And so one of the things that we're seeing is even just biblical claims, there's nothing extreme about them other than their truth claims. They're seen as extreme and they're seen as limiting freedom, which is the highest good right now, defined as the ability to do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, without the consequences that go with it. And that's just the highest ideal right now. And so Christianity which makes claims about the world and reality and God's good design and commands, all of those things come to bear on reality and those things come together. So how do we help Gen Z navigate that well? What are the tension points they experience? What do we experience as followers of Jesus? And in some ways, Gen Z is at an interesting crossroads because morally and spiritually speaking, one of the things that we're seeing is just an increased moral and spiritual confusion. I want to share some of this research with you that we've also compared to our volume one study even four years earlier. Two thirds of teens, that's Gen Z, and young adults, that's 65%, agree that many religions can lead to eternal life. Compared to 58% in 2016, which is a significant jump even in that short time among Gen Z. So let that sink in. Almost seven out of 10 teenagers agree that many religions can lead to eternal life. That's the dominant view around us. You know, one of the observations that Carl Truman makes in his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, is he says, our social imaginaries, the way we envision and imagine the world, as Christians are often too little different from that of the culture that surrounds us. So what does that mean? It means when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me in John 14, 6, that's a truth claim. And yet many of the conversations around us, the media, the assumptions are this increased pluralism, this idea that many religions can lead to God. And that's manifesting itself in dramatic ways in this next generation. There's an erosion of truth when it comes to any sort of religious claim. And as we'll see in a minute, any sort of moral claim. Another example for, based on our new research was the moral confusion that continues to speed up in the next generation. And this is just really important for us to understand, not only because there's team members or as a parent or at church or anywhere else, you just need to understand these things. We've seen an increase from 25% to 31% who strongly agrees that what is morally right and wrong changes over time based on a society, based on society. And another 43% agrees somewhat. So that gets you up to about 74% that basically says morality is a moving target that's gonna have some pretty significant implications on just life in general, culture, 
but also uh, people's flourishing as a human being as God designed it, right? And one of the things that I like to do here with this number is actually flip it to the inverse to show us something very important. What this data shows us is that only 10% strongly disagrees of Gen Z that what is morally right and wrong changes over time based on society. That's your 10% of convictional people who say right and wrong are fixed. There's an objective good, an objective evil. Those don't change around the winds of culture or different trends or what's popular or what's palatable, right? That doesn't change. So about that 10% is the convictional. And as we looked at Colossians 2, 6 through 8 at the beginning, what I want to call us to and invite us to as followers of Jesus and what we need to do for the next generation is invite them to be a part of that 10% and maybe grow that number, right? Because that's the convictional 10% who think right and wrong actually exist, okay? And there's a time and a place in how we talk about that and engage people around moral and spiritual claims, but that conviction has to be there if you're going to live out the Christian life with any degree of confidence, all right? So that's really important. The bottom line then, what we found is that moral relativism hasn't just crept into the worldview of Gen Z. It is now the majority opinion. And that's just something we need to reckon with and to be honest about. Maybe we wish it was different. In fact, we do. But if we're not engaging this well, then we are not preparing the next generation well, and that erosion will continue to occur. So Jonathan states there, you know, it, it's a sad fact. It's true. There's not much we can do about changing that. But the reality is that we get to influence outcomes as Christians who really do care about these things that are true. And it was shocking. When you think about 70% plus of Gen Z believing there are multiple ways toward salvation or and or, I should say, even a higher number believing that there is moral relativity, so it's fluid as the day is long, you can change your views on morality with the wind. Okay, that that's disturbing because, you know, here's the facts. People are entitled to their own beliefs, but they are not entitled to their own truth. And that's just a fact. I mean, absolute truth is absolute truth. Uh, I, and I guess I could say this, people's perceptions are such, and you can have an opinion, but you are entitled to a truth that's anything other than real truth, even though you believe something to be so. Uh, let me try, maybe an example. Uh, I just finished writing a book that is now in the editing phases. It's a first work for me, and it's kind of cool that I had a chance to do it during COVID. And I'm calling it 90 Days on the Inside. I had a long story, and I won't get into it right now. It'll be for another podcast. But I remember back in the day when I was younger, I had a chance to partner with some people that were much older and to join this business venture that, to me, was really cool. It was it was real estate related. It's something I always had in my sites as being a part of, something like that, investing and, and also helping other people do the same. So we were a consulting firm. And... You know, back in the day, I remember how influenced I was when it came to money and and sort of padding my balance sheet as a as a way to value my worth. It's crazy, but if you understood my backstory, which is in the book, you know, I just was placed in a in a time when I believed because my father and mother's um, performance and people pleasing sort of mantra, and they pushed that out on me. I I had to create a reality, even though it wasn't true, that 
you know, by my net worth or some value of what I wore or what I drove or what I had and what I was capable of doing, that measured my identity. I, I identified with it. Not a true thing, but a belief system. And so over the years, I had to get to a place where I understood that really things didn't define me. Uh, people didn't define me. God defined me. He, I am his kid. I have been created with a purpose and specifically with identity that's secure in him. But my identity was secure in so many other things and tied up in those things that I believed that I was being judged by what I had and what I was able to get to. And I compromised my life around that thinking. Didn't make it true, but it's what I believed. I think that that is the case today and for many uh, and not just younger generation because you heard that moral relativity is pretty much the belief system that exists in our world today uh, that means compromise is exists everywhere and that's hard because when you are believing a certain thing and you want to have faith in your in mankind you have you're wrapped up in a hope that things are and can be different. But I think we know as we look around us that, that this is the sign of the times. God showed us clearly and he prophesied over many ways in scripture that this is what the end times would look like. So I think we are closer, obviously, than we ever have been for Jesus' return, which even makes it more important for us to adopt truth and to make it part of who we are, not the cultural truth, because there is it is confusing and it is confused. Uh, we don't want to buy into it, but we also don't want to judge people who are. We want to love them back into a different way of thinking, which means you have to present it differently. And I think that's the important part here. Make it part of a relationship, not just dogmatic doctrine. Relationship is where it's at. That's how Jesus related to us. It's how he calls us to relate to others. So in case you haven't noticed, I like to pull other resources into these podcasts at times. And I'm going to go back to just a short interview that John Mark Comer did. And he was somebody that I... Recently, the last podcast, we talked about this ruthless elimination of hurry, and he wrote a book on it, but he also had a comment or two here about progressive Christianity and this sort of compromise that the church has found itself in, too. And I'd like you to just pay attention. It's just short that there is a shift, a transition that could and may happen that we need to be wary of, and allowing it to, to do so and not um, standing up against it could, could really make this harder, this truth harder to sort out for individuals or help them to see clearly. So just listen in for a moment as he sums it up here. It's like the way it came into, I think, church leaders was 10, 15 years ago through the missional movement, where there was the great thinkers who started to deconstruct the kind of Sunday-centric, attractional churches all about lights and stage and getting more people and almost consumeristic approach to church. They started to deconstruct that with the Bible and say, like, that isn't scriptural. That's not the future. This isn't reaching Gen X. This isn't reaching millennials. But then something shifted and people started not just deconstructing church structure but deconstructing orthodoxy. And at that point, it was, you're off to the races. And my pastoral experience is that progressive Christianity, for not for all people, but for most, is a stopover 
on the way to post-Christianity. Very, because it can't hold any kind of robust discipleship because it has no ethical stance against the world. So you're sucked in. Talk to where scripture fits into that. I mean, in in terms of orthodoxy, what's the first... For a pastor who's trying to lead a congregation and they're having some of these conversations over coffee, I mean, as a leader, what are you listening for in the conversation that yeah. helps you know, hey, this person might be starting to be discipled by a different vision yes. that is not our vision? Well, of, of everything is about power and authority for millennials and Gen Z. And so um, I think the short version is just for many young Christians, Scripture is no longer there authority. So there you go. That's the key. Scripture is no longer their authority. And, and that lines up with moral relativism. And it, you know, this, the Bible is very clear about uh, what is permissible, what isn't. And even just what's built into our DNA uh, is image bearers should be our compass, our guide, not what somebody else tells us is okay or what feels good and and then we set aside all truth to to compromise for our own ease comfort and pleasure because that's really what it comes down to is this is not a i don't know it's less about eternity although it's all about eternity but it's more about today and what we can do to feel good about ourselves feel good about our circumstances and create the world that we've would fit into most and best. And I and again, I told you a story. That was my mantra. That was my thing. That's what I did. And to some deal success. I mean, I accumulated a lot back then. Uh, God was gracious enough to actually make it come crashing down around me because of bad choices I made. But in the end, it wasn't a bad life. But in the scope of eternity, it was horrendous. I, who cares? We're on a short-term missions trip here. This is a dash in our tombstone between our beginning date and our end date. We have to make the best of it for the kingdom, not for ourselves. So that that's my challenge to you. Think a little bit about truth in this confused culture. What will you do to stand up against falsehoods, false self, denial, the inability for people to really grasp truth and be okay with it, uh, just fluid, moving all the time, is not the way Jesus modeled reality. So friends, thank you for giving this some thought. Obviously, we don't have answers to it entirely. That's a between you and the Holy Spirit and God thing to begin to consider. Uh, But just standing up for truth is probably the most powerful thing you can do. Scripturally based absolute truth is reality. Perception is not necessarily reality in the world that we live in. So again, friends, thanks for joining me. It was another great time to bring to you truth uh, from God's word and from others who follow the same Jesus that I do. So God blessing to you and to yours. And we'll be back again real soon. This was another episode of the Embracing Brokenness podcast. For more information on Embracing Brokenness Ministries or to subscribe to our blog, podcast, YouTube channel, or engage with us on social media, please visit our website at embracingbrokenness.org. Thanks for joining us.